The God of Atheists by Stefan Molyneux, Chapter 79, Terry's Losses. Now it came to pass that Terry lost most of his money, and this is how it happened. First he had given his money over to an investment broker, Simon, the man David had suggested, and signed all the necessary documents. He received monthly statements and had given few instructions as to how his money was to be handled. Thus it was that Simon received the holy grail of stock traders, a goodly sum of money, an indifferent client, and a bull market. He traded constantly and everything he bought went up, and he and Terry made a lot of money together. But all too soon, alas, there was a parting of the ways. The market began to freefall, and as it did, only one of them was left making money. Simon continued to trade, and still made his money, but Terry lost some staggering amounts and was woefully introduced to the bipolar world of margin trading. Apparently, when he had signed the document giving Simon power over his money, he had also given permission for margin trading. Now, margin trading is to money-making what manic depressives are to emotional stability. Margin traders bet not on the stock itself, but on the gap between expected prices. To see Terry's evisceration close up, let's look at a margin trade in action. Nortel, also known as no-tell, as in no telling where it might go, or no telling investors about losses, was considered undervalued at $60, not due to any price-earnings ratios, intrinsic value, or expanding markets, but because it had once been much higher. Simon thought that Nortel would go to $70. Now, Terry had about $75,000. So let's say that without margin trading, he buys 1,250 shares at $60. Then, next week, the price goes down to $50. Ouch! Says Terry, I guess I'd better stop trading on numbers and actually learn something about the companies I'm investing in. So I sell my 1,250 shares for $50, ending up with $62,500, having lost $12,500. Or, let's say that Terry continues to outguess the market and says, hey, it's a dip, right? A lot of people thought it was worth $200 at one point. Maybe they will again. So he hangs on to the sagging hot air balloon, riding it right down to $10. Now his $75,000 have become $12,500. Bummer. But at least he would have the hard-bought knowledge that you should never invest without a good deal of knowledge, and to avoid margin trading like the plague it is. But this is not what happened. What happened was that everything was gone within a week, and Terry was lucky not to be in hock to the trading firm for the rest of his mortal coil. Margin trading is like upping a gambling ante not with more money, but with one or more of your internal organs. It works like this. A trader takes 10k of your money and buys 2,000 shares at $50 each, giving you a net holding of 100k. How is that possible, you ask? Well, the trader is betting that the 100k will not go down more than 10k, and that your 10k can be used to cover the spread. So if the stock goes down by $5, your 100k is now worth 90k, and the trader sells all your stock and pays the loan off since there was a loss of 10k, with your original 10k leaving you with nothing. He gets to keep the commission. If your stock goes up 
$5, then he, hopefully, sells all your stocks and gives you your 10k back and another 10k, minus, of course, his commission. Thus, the stock goes up 10%, and you double your money. So Sweet! For Terry, it worked like this. Simon bought 12,500 Nortel at $60 each. Nortel fell to $55. Terry was wiped out. Not so sweet. Chapter 80. Dave's Question. Well, that's that. Angela was cutting avocado in the central island in the kitchen when Dave rose late the next morning. Hmm? Dave rubbed the back of his head, where he still had hair, and yawned. It's all done. Is there any coffee? Normally, Angela hated this question because there almost always was. His Majesty just didn't want to get it himself. This morning, though, it didn't even register. Her knife slowed, then fell from her hand. She brushed a strand of hair from her face, then glanced up. Her jaw worked slowly. You... You... sorry? Canned like tuna, Dave sniffed. Hmm, is that French roast I smell? Angela blinked. Uh, not, not following. Sansity canned me, dumb fucks. Canned? You... you mean let you go? Dave flopped into a wooden chair by the breakfast nook, sending it skidding back a few inches. Laura, don't tell me you've become a suburban morning drinker. Canned! Let go, remember? Like the last four times? Fuck, I wish just once I could find people capable of... just doing a decent fucking job. They are nowhere to be found. Angela put the knife down. Her hands were shaking too much. Okay, 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 slow down. Just... Just, just slow the fuck down. Dave smiled, slurring his words. Okay. What's for lunch? Me so hungry. What are you talking about? Well, the sequence is thus. Your little pet Terry boy fucked up a client deliverable, so this Indian asshole comes in and screwed us for time and materials. I hoped it'd blow over, but no, they call Sansity, who then canned me for political reasons that remain obscure. Lawyers gather, powering up ungreased dildos. I'm still sore from the Indian guy, so I go. Angela's eyes narrowed. What the fuck? What does this mean, Dave? Dave scowled. What, I get canned, I have to get my own coffee? She whirled around and poured a mug quickly, almost burning herself. Don't get sidetracked. Oh, okay, she said. Now, I've got some friends who are pretty heavily invested in this stock. What, what does it mean to them? What does it mean to them? Echoed Dave incredulously. I get canned from the company I founded, and you're worried about liposuction money for your rich fucking friends? Angela paused. Well... Froze is more accurate. Adrenaline coursed through her toned and tanned system. Son of a bitch, he's right. She willed herself to slow down, sitting in a chair beside Dave, 
she pulled his head to her shoulder. You're right, she said, kissing his bald spot. Poor baby. He smiled. She could feel his jowls shifting against her skin. Yeah, well, it's okay. We got out with some cash. I now have successful software experience and a great story to tell to new investors. Not only did the stock go up when I was there, it fucking plummeted after I left. Gosh, within a day, if I remember rightly. So, what happened? asked Angela, stroking his broad back. The story came out slowly. Angela asked a lot more questions than she usually did. Generally, Dave's stories of boardroom politics were completely uninteresting in the way only the endless dramas of the completely irresponsible can be. But this time, she questioned him close and hard, and was mildly horrified at Dave's way of doing business. I mean, to not even mention that your biggest client was in a position to sue you? I mean, what did he think was going to happen? What was his plan? However, she gained some grudging respect for Sansity, and Robert Washington in particular. He found out about Cyrex's legal actions and acted immediately and decisively. He fired Dave and closed down most of Emus. With Emus closed, he wouldn't have to pay Cyrex since Emus had ceased to exist. It couldn't be sued. The danger was quickly contained. However, she thought, as Dave droned on, the stocks are probably still in danger. I mean... I know almost nothing about CompuCan or Sand City. I invested initially because of Terry's database builder. Now that's gone. During their conversation, Dave thought briefly of telling Angela that the Sand City stocks were likely to crash. Her luncheon friends and all. But really, what did they ever do but complain about their husbands and dodge anti-fur protesters? They certainly didn't do any good for Angela. Fuck em he thought. But suddenly another thought, a terrible idea, came to him, and he asked Angela without thinking, And you never invested in CompuCan or Sansity, did you? Angela paused. She had an odd allegiance to truth-telling. She didn't mind misleading people, but hated telling an outright lie. This habit might have had something to do with Sarah's rabid curiosity about truth. I will not lie, so what do I say? Then the answer came clear. No, I never invested in them, Dave. For Angela, this was quite true. After all, it was both their money. Chapter 81 Angela's Answer the call came at 4.03 p.m. Angela had just come back from a run. She caught the end of the phone ring, but shrugged, went upstairs and had a long, cool shower. The million-dollar shower, she thought later, over and over, for many years. But it wasn't just the shower. She also got a call from her mother complaining about her gardener. Then a grocery delivery came, which she had to pack away. It was about 5.15 by the time she checked for messages. Ange, call me. It's urgent. She frowned. Huh? No name, no number. Familiar voice, though. Who? Then she remembered that they had called display and scrolled through the list of names. Agent Capital, 4.03 p.m. Ooh, Ralph, her broker. 
may be asking what happened with Dave. We should probably sell. She tried his office, but got his voicemail. Mm, after five. She then spent about twenty minutes finding his card and trying his cell. Some garbled static, nothing more. Oh well, it'll have to wait till morning. But her nervous system felt otherwise, and she couldn't seem to relax. Everyone was out. She had the house to herself. She tried her usual remedies, reading fashion magazines, painting her toenails, watching TV until she napped. Nothing. The sky darkened. Where was everyone? She checked the family whiteboard, but everything on it was at least a couple of days old. Finally, she could take no more. She had tried Ralph's cell phone a few more times, but she looked up Ralph's name on the web and got his address. She printed out a map of directions, drove over. His house was large, hardwood floors and white walls, barely furnished. He was eating pizza on a white couch when the door rang. He leapt up and opened it. Christ, Angela! he cried out. His outburst startled her, but she still felt a little dazed. Life seems to have shifted a little while I wasn't looking. What? What the fuck? I tried your cell this afternoon. It's recharging. I had to... I I eventually... Sorry, come in, come in. They went in and sat on his couch. He ate pizza while talking, oblivious to the munching mess of his mouth. I I had to try your home, though, though I know this is all verboten. Angela was surprised at the word. Ralph is not exactly a German name. So I, I just left a no-name call me, hoping you would get the hint. Yeah, I, I tried your cell too, so, so what's going on? He took a deep breath, glancing at the window. Okay, okay, Deb, I want you to tell me everything about what's going on over at Sansity. Uh, Dave's been fired? Yeah, I know, I know. What else? Dave's... Uh, he thinks it's something political, like... Like, they don't like his methods. They're, 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 they're going to close Emus and just keep the support department? Yeah, yeah, got all that. What about this Cyrix thing? Anything about that? Uh, Angela chewed on a cuticle. Well, he said that a project had failed. No, wait, not failed, but... Oh, some guy, some new guy wasn't happy and, and the original guy had gone nuts or something? Is it a lawsuit? No, I think... Dave said something about a refund? Hmm. Okay. Deb, now, this is going to be hard. Sansity stock closed at eight cents as of five o'clock today, and it might be suspended tomorrow, pending delisting of the company from the TSE. Angela frowned. Involuntarily, she bit down so hard on her finger that it bled. She lowered her hand slowly, leaving a trail of blood from the corner of her mouth. You, you're... Ralph held up a napkin, miming, dabbing his mouth. Angela took the napkin and folded it in her lap. Her eyes were wide. She raised them to Ralph. So... What? We're... Well, when we got the info, we started to sell on the way down. We lost some, but nothing catastrophic. And, and we were hedged. You took the greatest loss. You and your friends. She nodded hypnotically. So, 
you sold slowly, knowing... Wait, how did you find out about Cyrix? I mean, Dave was fired to cover it up. I can't talk about that. I mean, who would... Dave, she thought. Did Dave let them know somehow? God, that would be insane. I mean, look, said Ralph, leaning forward. You are busted, Angela. Whether Sansity's delisted or not, you're on the hook for just over a million. And these people are not patient. They'd take gold fillings if it was legal. Angela closed her eyes, thinking, Well, I am calm. Okay. She stood up, brushed her dress, then sat down again. Okay, uh, so what should I do? You gotta tell Dave. Declare bankruptcy, like now. And that means, Ralph sighed, well, you'll lose everything. Trust me, you don't have enough assets to... It's gonna be rough. He nodded. Yeah. And there's nothing to be done. Ralph pursed his lips and shook his head slowly. Tell me, what price was the stock at at four o'clock this afternoon? He didn't seem surprised at the question. About twenty-five cents. She laughed, soundlessly. <laughs> well, we'd have broken even at that. Don't. You'd never have been able to sell them all at twenty-five cents. I mean, a market that small, you sell a thousand at drops. But if I'd have known yesterday... No, I mean... If you would have told me to sell everything yesterday, I'd have had to sell too. We'd, we'd be racing each other down the cliff. It's hard to offload small cap stocks. Huh. She smiled, her eyes wandering the room. <sighs> so, there's no real way out of the house. No way at all. He was silent, watching her. Her hand rose. She bit down hard. Sorry, said Ralph eventually. Almost tenderly, he leaned forward, lowered her hand, and wiped the blood from her chin. Chapter 82 Dave and Angela and Fate It was a shock too large for her system to absorb all at once. For over an hour she drove... Aimlessly. It was odd, she thought later. She must have filled the gas tank at one point. It was almost empty when she left for Ralph's house, but couldn't remember where or when. Intrigue is always so easy at the outset. Tears ran down her cheeks, again without her noticing. She had spent the last few months, longer perhaps, but that was all buried, expecting to get out of this fucking marriage. So close. Imagining that she was on the verge of escape, all her loathing for Dave had risen unopposed. The real prison is imagining you can get away. Now things were unbearable. Well, they always had been unbearable, but now Angela knew it, and that was worse than anything. But why not leave? Why couldn't she just get out? 
Well, Angela, a supremely unimaginative woman, couldn't conceive of a life without money. Before, she thought, I could have gotten alimony, but now, I mean, what would I get, a bus pass? This was snobby, of course, but early wealth so often impoverishes imagination. Mentally, Angela had never compared herself with poor, but with, with, well, that was the problem. She had no comparisons, and so had no choices. Now, for roughly 100% of petty lost people, a lack of choice must be someone else's fault. Angela had reached this stage when she arrived home, her knuckles white on the steering wheel. Dave was sitting at the kitchen table, licking a jam knife and holding a bagel in one oversized hand. Ange! he grinned. She passed him without comment to the bottom of the stairs and cried out, Justin! Sarah! Get down here, please! Ooh, they're in trouble, thought Dave, putting down the jam knife and standing up. Serious parental face? Ah, now in place. What, Ange? He murmured, coming up behind her, cupping an ass cheek in one hand. Is it time for wifey to take a chill pill? She froze, then turned around and slapped him on the face, hard. What? cried Dave, stepping back involuntarily. What the fuck was that? Kids! she cried out, turning back to the stairs. Ange? he cried out in the wounded husband voice she hated so much. She ignored him. Hello! Hello! He cupped his hands around his mouth. Earth to Angela, can you read me? Her left hand unconsciously massaged her lower back. Justin! Sarah! Get down here! After a moment, Sarah came down the stairs, followed by Justin. Angela took a deep breath. Kids, kids, find somewhere to go and stay there. Go there right now. And don't come back until, until... She turned round rapidly to find Dave rotating his finger by his temple at the kids, making a crazy person face. She leapt at him. You stupid fucking bastard! Justin took a step forward. Hey, Mom, leave him alone! Angela's fists rained on Dave's shoulders. You fucking monster! What the fuck? You just do this to everyone?! Dave's face turned purple. He grabbed at her wrist, stumbling backwards. Back the fuck off, you crazy bitch! How many, huh? How many? Well, you're in your own fucking club now! She wrenched her red wrists from Dave's hands and whirled around, her face contorted. Kids! Get the fuck out of this house! Now! Dave reached forward. Angela, what the fuck? He recoiled as she spun around and slapped him again, harder. Ow! She turned again, jabbing her forefinger at the children. Out! Justin slid against the wall towards the front door, his hands raised. Okay, okay. Angela strode to the front door and jerked it open. She yanked Sarah back from the closet. Don't worry about your jacket, just get out! Sarah burst into tears. We, we've got no money! Angela's purse was hanging over the door handle. She thrust it at her daughter. Take this and just call someone! She strode forward and grabbed Justin, manhandling him towards the door. All right, all right, you don't need to push. 
She almost hurled the children outside. The dogs barked madly in the front yard. Through the tall, lacy windows by the door, Dave saw the dogs trailing after the children. Justin and Sarah were walking slowly down the driveway, close together. He took another deep breath and turned around. Look, you fucking bitch, he said evenly. You ever take another swipe at me, I'll take you down with both hands. Understand? Take me down, laughed Angela, her eyes blazing with scorn. I'm not kidding. You hit me in front of the children, I'll beat you in front of your mother, okay? Yeah, Dave. Whatever. She turned away, and he could see her shoulders heaving. She's playing for sympathy, he thought, rubbing his cheek, but not this time. Not this time. Angela turned back towards him. Some color had returned to her face. She looked at her hands. Dave could almost hear the yoga mantras echoing through her underutilized head. Yes, she murmured. Yes, everything is fine. Okay. Okay. She looked up at Dave, her eyes dangerously clear. When did this start to happen? What? Dave grabbed a jacket. Look, cool off on your own dime. I'm going out. Angela seized the jacket and tore it from his hands. Suddenly he remembered that she'd been working out for twenty years. Can Taibo actually do damage? he wondered. She slipped past him and stood in front of the door. When did your business problems start? she asked. Angela, said Dave heavily. Angela, get out of my way. If you think you can interview me after hitting me, think again. A spasm crossed her face. Dave, Dave, I'm sorry about hitting you. I'm really sorry. Ooh, after she cries, we always have great sex, he thought, then cursed his own hormones. Yeah, sorry. She took a step forward. I'm sorry about everything. Everything? Oh, she wants me to accept an apology for a crime I don't know about. Angela saw his doubt and took a deep breath. Listen, this is what I'm going to do. I am sorry for hitting you. And to make that more real, I will make this solemn promise to you now, right here. I will never mention your affair, not ever again. Dave's eyes narrowed. Now, he thought, this is most unexpected. Release from the great male era, could it be? Ooh, she must have fucked up something bad. Go on. I will. I will never mention it again. And, and, I don't know, just listen, I, I have to, I have to get some answers from you. About the business? Yes. And no more Evil Dave? No. Ever again? Ever again. Wish the kids were still here, thought Dave. This needs witnesses. He took a deep breath. Okay. When did it start? A couple of weeks ago. And it's totally gone. Totally. Dave frowned. 
You have to come clean. Where are you in this? We've been down this road before. Angela reached out to take his hand. He flinched, but she shook her head almost imperceptibly. She led him into the kitchen to the breakfast nook. An enormous newspaper lay there as if it had fallen from a great height and splattered amid coffee cups with bodum sludge at the bottom. Angela leaned forward slightly, her hand on Dave's wrist. Dave, did you ever wipe anyone out? People lost money on my companies, sure. What did you tell them? It sucks, of course. Nobody likes to lose money, but those are the breaks. Business is risk. Barnacle Dave said once, he imitated the man's New England growl, Feel their pain, keep their money. What if... What... What if someone were completely wiped out? Has that... Dave eyed her steadily. That's happened. So what do you say? Guy I know, Kevin, you've never met him. He's a mad fuck over 300 pounds. Made 10 mil by the age of 30. Put it all in my next two businesses. All gone by the time he was 33. He sits in bed with his wife there, looking at the house that's about to go, and she says... Shit, honey, we started with nothing, now we're back to nothing. What if we lost? And he started up again. Dave shrugged. I tell them that. Angela looked at him for a long moment. Huh. Do you believe it? Cash comes and goes. Why? Sansity closed at eight cents today. It might be delisted in the morning. Dave's eyes widened. The corners of his mouth twitched. God damn. Do you know uh, anything about that? His eyes suddenly seemed to clear. Holy shit, he cried. You know someone who invested. Someone other than those rich fucks at lunch. What? What? Why do you? He grinned maniacally, wagging his finger back and forth. Come on. Fess up, sister. You know where the two mil came from, don't you? You helped someone help themselves, didn't you? Someone dabbled on your say-so. Oh, shit. That's why you kept coming across like a reporter from the Harvard Business Review. He laughed out loud, short of breath, pounding the table wheezily. Christ, Angela. It was because I said things were... (laughs) And then I kept quiet... Holy fuck now, that's some kind of hapless ass bad luck. His eyes shone with mad glee. Who is it? Who, 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 who? There was a long pause. The moon darkened overhead in the deepening silence. Finally, Angela said, as if from a great distance. Us. Dave's grin froze. He cocked his head slightly to one side. Sorry? Didn't catch that. Us. His grin remained, but his teeth seemed to grow. Us. What? What? I invested on margin. Dave laughed harshly. But what the fuck? You did not. Margin. You... Okay. Okay, what what the fuck? What did I forget? Birthday? Anniversary? Can I call the kids back in now? Who put you up to this? No one, Dave. You, perhaps. He looked at her skeptically. What's really going on, Ange? 
We're fucked, Dave, she murmured, sitting down delicately. We went down with the ship. Come on, you drama queen. You saying you put some money in? How much? Two million. He snorted. <laughs> sure, you sold the kid's spare kidneys a mill apiece and invested. No, what the fuck, really? I, I got it on margin. Dave smiled. Where? I, uh, I went to talk to Terry after our last big fight. Found out about the database builder. You said it was great, but what did I know? Then I talked to Ralph and invested in margin. Right. With what? He puts up my house without telling me? I'd fucking sue him to the Stone Age. We decided not to tell you. It, it wouldn't be inside a trading if you didn't know. Dave stared at her for a long moment. So, that was our mill? He said finally. About a hundred thou was ours. <laughs> you got ten to one on margin? Bullshit. No, others got into it too. We, we did about a mill, mill and a, and, and a bit. Dave rubbed his temple savagely. Holy shit, my head is... Okay. Okay, what... When... Oh, tell me the story. Angela smiled. I, I heard you saying it was all great, so I took the money from the pyramid thing and put it in on margin. Ralph gave me ten to one in exchange for some of the action himself. Collateral? Asked Dave. There was no response. His hands itched to shake her neck. The cash wasn't enough. Angela! Collateral! Everything is in my name, Dave. The house... RSPs, remember? For taxes? Dave's eyes widened slowly. He felt he was suddenly sliding down an inclining ice floor. He jumped to his feet. This... Are you... Are you saying this fucking sinkhole has just taken everything we have? What? Uh, are, you, are you saying that you went and invested in my business behind my back without telling me? Are you saying that you just nailed me to my own table and fucked me up the ass? Christ! Angela, that, that, that's insider trading. What the fuck were you going to do if we hit it big? Why? Why? What did you need the money f for? You needed. Dave's eyes narrowed. Angela could hear his teeth grating slightly. Then his shoulders sagged. Oh, you were... You were going to fly, weren't you? He said softly, leaning his knuckles on the tabletop. You were thinking of getting the fuck out. You were nest egging just a bit, just a bit, weren't you? Tell me, don't, don't space out on me now, Angela Jones. You keep those beady little eyes right on mine. He reached forward with both hands and closed them over her jaw. Head up, come on, head up. She jerked her head away. Let go of me. Dave turned away. His hands rose and smoothed the back of his hair. Everything, she just lit a fucking fire and threw everything in. Christ, I wanted to fuck. You wanted to talk. <laughs> Balance sheets. A suspicious husband would have wondered, but I, I thought, no, 
Uh, little Ange is just taking an interest in the workhorse's load. Just a little, Dave. Stop it. Oh, <laughs> okay, let me see. He gazed around the kitchen. This house is no longer ours. We are house-sitting for a fucking investment bank. This vase, that was my mother's, so I drop it like this. Nothing. It means nothing. This picture. Uh, I can just break it. What the fuck does it matter? Not ours. Who cares? We could torch the whole fucking shithole and sit with mallows on the front lawn. Or throw ourselves in the whole fucking pyre. Who gives a shit anymore? This horror went on for hours. The madness, the recriminations, the bottomless lava of a marriage caving in over a void of pure falsehood. It was only fair, of course, in a way. Angela had made Dave suffer for his great male error, and now it was her time. But rail as they might, it didn't help at all or change the one salient fact. No matter what was said, in the end, they knew they would lose everything. Well, almost everything. They got, of course, to keep each other. Chapter 83. The children decide to visit Terry. A new chapter. Stephen, Alice, and Sarah sat on the school swings, idly trailing their legs back and forth on the sand. Glancing up at the rusty bar, Stephen remembered that when he was young, he was terrified of going over and of swinging with his head thrust all the way back where the firm earth became a lunging sky. He smiled, recalling that when he jumped off at the height of a high arc, there was a giddy moment when gravity seemed optional and flying, almost inevitable. You know, said Sarah, I can't see my life very well anymore. Do, do you feel that? And how, said Alice fervently. Stephen scuffed at a loose rock. What did it look like before, for you? Sarah shrugged. I don't know, a school, work, marriage, kids. You can't do that anymore? Oh, no. Not really. Not the same, anyway. How come? Because, said Alice, running her fingers up the cooling chains. Because everything we want to do, all the girly stuff anyway, involves everyone else, other people. You know, Prince Charming, children, family. Boys get to climb mountains and be monks. Everything girls do is with others. Huh, said Stephen, staring at his knees. He smiled suddenly and raised his head. We are others, Sarah shrugged. Her legs were getting very long. Yeah, of course, but it's hard not to feel that it's less, you know, somehow. Like a party, sometimes you want a lot of people. Alice exhaled slowly. You remember the sleepover the night we met? Of course, said Sarah. I loved it when everyone else was asleep. Stephen nodded slowly. They are out there, you know, he murmured. Who? People like us. Right. Stephen clambered out of his swing. He walked to the edge of the playground where the gravel dissolves into grass. The sun was high overhead. For some reason, the world seemed deserted. No cars, no strollers, no children, no cries. It was very hot, everyone sealed up in the cold. 
Stephen turned around, spreading his arms wide. He was wearing tan pants and a bright red t-shirt. Do you think it was a good idea? He asked. The two girls stared at him. Sometimes, said Sarah, slowly. It's very hard. Yeah, added Alice, shaking her head. You know, it's, it's like we were somewhere, which was like nowhere, but now we're nowhere waiting for somewhere. It is, cried Sarah. It is like waiting. Don't you want... said Stephen, and his voice caught. Don't you want this world to be a great place? A beautiful place where people are happy and, and good and, and you can believe what they say? You're both looking backwards, you know. That's good. You taught me that. I just go and go forward, you know, into the future like a spear because I can see that the world is beautiful and the place we live in, the, the school we go to, the families we come from are, are just shadows, like when a bird spreads its wings, it's dark for a moment underneath, but, but then it flies up and away. And I, I think that I, I, that I feel so constricted around people who lie or, or who think they know when they don't really know. That's everyone. Don't you think so? It, it's all so small. We're supposed to be so small. I can't stand it. To me, life, what is coming, is a glory and a, and a greatness and a, and a hymn, I, I guess. <laughs> Stupid, but yeah, said Sarah. I, I, I feel a bit of that. I don't know why everything and everyone has to be so small, cried Stephen. It's like we can go to the moon, mankind, and, and we can breathe underwater and, and, and fly over mountains. And I don't know where any of the people are who do those things. They're not here. I thought, I thought that maybe they were just in my head or, or my dreams or in books until I met you two. And you are both so brave. Stephen clenched his fists in front of him. You stand in the face of storms. He smiled suddenly. <laughs> don't, don't be too embarrassed. Isn't that all we really want to hear, that we have that someone has listened to us and that they know and appreciate what we give, what we are. Because me, I've always been this way since day one. I, I think and, and ask questions. I have to, like, like, like people have to breathe. But you are, I mean, neither of you were this way to begin with. So you're not starting with the same mm, habits or, or, or thoughts or something. But you do it. I've done this since the crib, but you both pick up this huge sword and start cutting the shadows away. And I was alone my whole life. And now I look around and I have two great friends in the dark with me and I am no longer alone. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that and thank you both for it. And, and I have more to say, but I, I can't speak as well when I feel this strongly, so that's it. There was silence for a few moments. The birds were quiet. Thank you, Stephen, said Alice gravely. Yeah, said Sarah. I complain, I know, but thanks, really. Stephen sat down with a sudden little crunch. 
He squinted up at the girls into the white light of noon. So, uh, last update, I guess, Alice? Not much with us. My dad's getting all these legal letters from the government and that TV station. He's smoking a little at night like we can't tell. And your mom? Okay, I guess. Trying to save her store. Still looks mean at Ian for the scarves that never were. Stephen turned to Sarah. And you? Sarah looked away. It's horrible at my house. I'm sorry. Justin won't get out of bed. My dad's in the spare room. No one talks. I'm just reading tea leaves, you know? Yeah, I know. Stephen, said Alice, leaning forward. Why did you say that this was going to be our last update? Well, because we're all going away, right? Away? Stephen turned and gestured at the lush lawns, tight hedges, and time-stained buildings of their private school. This isn't going to survive. The three of them gazed at the sparkling granite walls and freshly painted monkey bars. Sarah said, It's like, uh, it's like we just left our friends and thought that would be it, that we'd be able to pick and choose, but you can't just leave a little bit, can you? I don't think so, said Stephen. It's like you want to dip your foot in the pool. Next thing you know, you're a mile underwater. Alice wrinkled her nose. Something more breathable would be better. Stephen laughed. Yeah, you're, you're right. And you? asked Sarah. My dad is gone, said Stephen, staring at the school. Oh, God, said Alice, twisting on her swing and glancing at Sarah. Oh, we're so sorry, said Sarah. How, how are you doing? I am very sad said Stephen, turning to them. His brow was furrowed, his eyes were wet. Because, you know, he was... He, he was always gone. Always. It's like... Like I'm not sad for the future, but the past. All of it. He pursed his lips, his brow furrowed even further. All I want is somebody to love, to respect look up to. It's very sad when it's not. He took a deep breath. Yeah, I know, said Alice. My dad is kind of a goof. He's got some kind of bond with mom, but I don't get it. Maybe because they both grew up poor. Who knows? Probably not. I mean, we grew up rich with this lot, she said, jerking her head towards the silent school, but it doesn't mean much. My dad is just kind of angry, said Sarah. He just wants everything to come to him, like it should, just because he's him. And when it doesn't, he just gets angry. And there's no bond there in my house. Everyone's just around, coming and going, never saying anything. And I think it's all going to go, she said, her voice getting softer. That's what you mean about the final time, right? Yeah, said Stephen. There was another short silence, and then Stephen stood up again, brushing the gravel from his trousers, leaving indentations like the craters of soft bullets. We've got one more thing to do, he said, 
Who's got the notebook? I I tore mine up about my dad. Uh, me, said Alice uncertainly. But, but why? Our, our families are... Stephen waved his hands. No, not our families. Something else. A good guy in danger of becoming a bad guy. The last thing we have to tie up. Okay, international man of mystery, said Alice, pulling her notebook out of her knapsack. Are you going to be this cryptic for the rest of the day? Perhaps, smiled Stephen, rocking on his little heels. Perhaps. After about an hour of writing and talking, they finally got up from the playground, where they were, in fact, never to return, and took a bus downtown. They stopped off at an internet cafe to get the address, then found the building, climbed the stairs to the third floor, and knocked on a weathered door, awaking the person asleep within. Chapter 84 The Children Visit Terry, Part 2 Terry got up, his eyes bleary. In the throes of light, unsatisfying sleep, he had developed the habit of falling deeply asleep, and then waking suddenly at a slight noise or change in light. Even a cloud passing over the sun would yank him up. It was like being shot randomly with alternating drugs. The knocking came again. He threw on some jeans and a t-shirt. True to his current mindset, he imagined the police on some case of mistaken identity, or his superintendent coming to yell at him for a bounce check. Or is it Dave, in tears, come to let me have at him? It was the three children. Terry stared at them stupidly, half expecting another sound to wake him and really mess with his sense of reality. Hi, Terry, said Stephen gravely. The two girls on either side of him nodded slowly. Ah, the three little fates, he thought. I don't want girls in here sniffing and poking around and going all ew at how a bachelor lives. Can we bother you for about twenty minutes? asked Stephen, looking at his watch. Sure, sure, stammered Terry. Not not expecting don't don't you guys ever call a I thought yours was the truly wired generation. They came in. Cell phones come from dirty money, said Sarah. Okay, frowned Terry. You should be happy, said Alice, pushing some clothes off the futon and sitting down. Terry's apartment was a tiny bachelor. He'd been too busy to move and mostly just slept there anyway. But now, over the past few weeks, it would have been instructive for him to read Crime and Punishment. As Raskolnikov learned, lurking in small rooms when very depressed does not generally produce the wisest decisions. Terry had lost most of his money, been unable to find work, and was sleeping by day and pacing and brooding by night. Okay, said Stephen. We owe you something. Uh-huh, said Terry, opening his fridge. You, you guys want anything? <laughs> Condiments, greasy things in brown paper bags, and old... Orange coffee creamers? Film? Eggs? Ooh, better not. We're good, said Alice. Come sit down. That seemed odd, such an adult phrase coming from a child. Terry turned around, half expecting to see her patting the couch beside her. Come and tell me all about it. 
Terry, said Stephen, we didn't want to leave anything unraveled. So everything's gone, said Sarah. Dad says it is. For him too? Terry itched to ask, but he was just a kid and all. How are you doing? asked Stephen. How? Terry sighed deeply. Well, it's a bummer, of course. Uh Uh-huh, said Stephen, nodding slowly. Terry could picture him with a tiny pipe presiding over an analytic couch. So, perhaps Dave represents your penis. We've come to make things clearer, maybe, said Alice, clearly impatient with all the staring and uh-huh-ing. We are the Band-Aid Brigade, said Stephen, miming, pulling one off. A little yank, a little cry, and then all better. Yeah, said Terry, thinking, okay, this younger set is just a little freaky, children of the corny. What did they sell? asked Sarah. Hm? said Terry. That means Dave and, and Sansity and, and, and the others. What did they have to sell? Stephen frowned. I, I thought we were going to start with what he sold. What, Dave? No, Terry. Huh? Let me try, said Alice, shifting on the couch. Is this floss? she asked, pointing at a thread on the couch. Uh... That's like so clean and not clean at the same time. Uh, Sorry, said Terry. Okay, right. So you're not happy with the men you worked with. You lost a lot of money, added Sarah. Yes, said Terry. Yes, I did. And I still would not be entirely surprised if I woke up again. You had a lot, said Alice. I bet more than a million. No, not quite. She nodded. Okay. But how did you get that million? It's like you lose a friend, but she wasn't really your friend, so you haven't lost anything. You just think you have. Let him answer, Alice, said Stephen. Right, right, sorry. So, so how, how, how did I get it? It, 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 um, it, it was on paper. Share options. <laughs> okay, like you're going to know what that is. We know, said Stephen. What are you, opening the Toronto chapter of the Tween Chamber of Commerce? He frowned and shook his young blonde head. No. Yeah, um, okay. Well, it it, it was on paper, so I know it wasn't really mine to lose. That's not what I mean, interrupted Alice. Ugh, adults. Okay, so what do you mean? I mean, what was being sold for people to buy your stock? Terry felt like explaining this, Ella Homer Simpson condescending to his daughter. Lisa... It was a software company, right? Whose software? Asked Stephen. His eyes seemed suddenly piercing, and Terry felt a nauseous shudder. (gasps) Wake me! Wake me! Well, I wrote it, said Terry slowly. And you had this hotshot product, right? Asked Alice. The database breeder builder, corrected Terry. So my dad used that to get investors, right? He, he shows it around, and, and everyone thinks it's great, uh, and they all give you money. Yeah, that's, that's true. So, so if you're not there writing code, asked Stephen gently, what are they selling? Terry paused, then took a breath. Well, not 
Not much, but he faltered again. The children watched him. Okay, he said finally, but I already know they that they were selling something I built. I know that. Uh-huh, said Alice. But you're mad at them, right? Do you know how many shares there were? Asked Stephen. What, in, in, in total? Uh, ten million? Thirty-three million, said Stephen. So, at one point, your company was worth over eighty-two million dollars. Terry paused. Yeah. Wow. Which is all gone, said Alice. All gone. Eighty-two million, murmured Sarah. Uh, I know, said Terry slowly. Hadn't, hadn't thought of it quite, quite like that, thanks a lot. But I know, I know. His eyes widened slightly. What? Y- you think that's my fault? Bullshit! Oh, uh, excuse me. Uh, I never told the investors to invest. I never lied to anyone. That's tough, admitted Stephen. We've really gone over and over that one. You didn't lie, sure. But here's the thing. Without you, the lie would have been impossible. Terry sucked his breath in, then closed his lips with a little... His eyes narrowed. He stood up, then sat down again. So, so... So you're saying that I did it? No, we don't know, said Alice. But you participated. Somehow, added Stephen. Without knowing? Suggested Sarah. I... Terry's mind was racing. Think out loud, said Alice. Helps us. Well, <clears throat> there was always some, something. I was always outvoted. No, not outvoted, but my opinions were less... You know, like, like, like when you're a kid sometimes and everyone listens and nods and then goes ahead a- a- anyway. Yeah, huh? agreed Sarah. And <clears throat> again, towards, towards the end, I, though I didn't know it was the end, I, I sort of felt that things were going to get worse later. When, when everything came back to, to haunt us, he smiled. Uh, down the dark road. I wasn't too confident about where we were heading. We were making lots of promises, just tossing them out. I I guess I thought that there was something I didn't understand that was going to make it okay, something that that Dave or or Don or Robert or or, or Bill or or Carl or someone, like they were going to pull something out of a hat and and, and we were all just going to laugh with relief. Sorry, that's dumb. Let's just say I thought something was going to come along. I mean, they all had nice stuff. Uh, They'd all been in business since the dawn of time. They all seemed very confident. Do you know what happened to my dad's last business? No, murmured Terry, unconsciously pulling a pillow over his stomach. Incoming. Some guy on the board had a, a, a drug habit and spent all their money. They covered it up to keep their reputations. Christ whispered Terry. That, that's what you talk about at dinner? You never tried to, started Alice, but stopped when Stephen put his hand on her forearm. What? Discover any of this? asked Terry, suddenly angry, waving his hands. I don't seem to have your little 
leprechaun moral genius. No, I, I, I didn't go to private school. I, I, I must have misplaced my silver spoon. It's okay, Terry, said Alice, putting her hand on his forearm. What? What? You, you come in here and, and tell me that uh, I, at the ripe old age of 24, should have done uh, due, due diligence on the first man to trust me in, in, in business? Oh, uh, easy for you when your most difficult decision is whether, whether to... Uh, some damn easy thing. Is it my fault? Really? What about your dad? I never lied. Okay, oh, okay, frowned Stephen, sitting back on the futon, quite at ease in the face of Terry's tirade. This could have been insulting, but it wasn't, and Terry calmed down a little after a few moments. Let me ask you something, said Stephen finally. Okay, okay, sorry. Sure, sure. What happened when you sold your stock? What do you mean, what happened? What was going on at Sansity? Well, the the stock went up. Do, do, do you really want to hear all this? Yes, really. Dave said, sell, uh, diversify, uh, uh, spread out your risks. Uh, so I did. I, I sold some. Then Terry paused. Yeah, prompted Stephen. Then there was this mess with the options. They were supposed to come out at 70 cents, but they, they came out at a buck 90, and the, the stock was, oh shit, a, a dollar or something. It was really bad. And then? And, and, and then what? The, the employees weren't too pleased. And, and then Stephen raised a hand. Hang on. Tell me this. He paused. Terry clutched his pillow tighter. Though he had only met him twice, Terry knew that when Stephen paused, it was really a good thing. What? Did you sell shares after you knew the CEO of Sansity was a liar. Terry stared. His face winced in a twitchy ripple. I... Terry suddenly remembered Dave's comment. Frankly, I think he's confused. You know, I did. I really, really did. Huh, said Stephen. Don't feel too bad said Sarah, leaning forward. We took our allowance for years. Terry held up his hands. But, wait, it never, it never crossed my mind. I, I thought there'd been some kind of mistake. You know how you say you'll meet someone at six, but you remember seven? Did you call them? No, no. What was I going to do? We, we went through Dave. He, he, he called him, I mean. Do you think he lied? Asked Alice. Who? Dave? Don? Ro Robert? Whoever. What, 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 what I think is, I, I mean, he might have. Things were, were pretty crazy. The children's faces were very still. There was a distant, tearing paper sound of a plane passing far overhead. Suddenly, Terry couldn't breathe. The sun was too bright. A tear rolled down his left cheek, and his throat closed. Sarah and Alice glanced at each other, and then they both took their notebooks from around their necks. It's okay, said Sarah, leaning forward and rubbing Terry's arm. It's okay. 
Chapter 85 Gordon's Answer When Rudy showed Gordon the video of his interview with Alder, he was quite surprised at his friend's reaction. Discovering Alder's deception and theft had radicalized Rudy suddenly and completely. It was as if he had discovered a secret continent in the midst of his room, or another dimension that could not only be proven mathematically, but also entered, if not physically, at least psychologically. What he discovered was not that Alder was a liar or corrupt, but that his cynicism could not banish that revelation with a shrug. The first failure of cynicism is like the stage of a rocket falling back to earth. The pseudo-wisdom of youth, the rejection of all values, always fails at some point, sometimes resulting in depression followed by a slow and more careful rebuilding of belief. For some weeks, Rudy could not understand what was happening to him. He had dreams about medieval combat and cried when an old-loved song, Christoberg's Revolution, came on the radio. He saw people in an entirely different way now. They seemed little more than the long-term effects of their basic ideas. This is the terror of Piggy in Lord of the Flies, and of that kid in the sixth sense. Rudy spent a good deal of time wandering the halls of his university, mentally whispering, I see bad people. Rudy read one morning about a professor who had created a new accounting course about ethics and felt torn about the news. Sure, he thought it would be great to have more ethical teaching, but really these students are in their 20s. Isn't it a bit late to go over the basics? But were they basics? Had society forgotten about ethics, or had society become so complicated that ethics had to be advanced, like a science? Are we trying to run a nuclear generator on the principles of medieval science? Or do simple decisions just seem so complicated because we've forgotten the basics? He was probably hoping that Gordon, who was a moralist through and through, could provide at least the possibility of answers. But Gordon's reaction to Aldra's betrayal really surprised him. Gordon sat in Rudy's shoebox room, staring at the screen as the interview ended. Rudy's media player was set to auto-repeat, for porn, of course, and when the interview started again, Gordon shuddered. Oh, shut it off, please. Sure, said Rudy, closing the program. So? I guess... Here's... Gordon raised his head. Thanks for you, first and foremost. You, you didn't have to do that. You mean me, of all people, smiled Rudy. The relativist to whom duplicity should make no difference? Oh no, man, I am deep in the heart of the undiscovered country. The unexpected part of me that puts the more in morality. <laughs> Gordon held up his hand. Yeah, okay, but... He took a deep breath. It's no triumph. What are you saying? Rudy cocked his finger like a pistol, blowing on his nail like a gunslinger. Bad guy went down, dude, Beretta style. Poor guy, murmured Gordon. Rudy's eyes widened, and now Ben Kingsley accepts the award on Gordy's behalf. Can you imagine, Gordon murmured, what kind of state you'd have to be in? I mean, his family, his son. Rudy frowned. How do you know about his family? 
Ah, he mentioned it once. Oh, Lord, if he only knew what he was doing. It's a great idea, sure, but, but not worth that. Nothing's worth that. What? Dying that way, said Gordon simply. And the way he said it, the inevitability of it, sent shivers down Rudy's spine. He thought, this man is the prince of the undiscovered country. What do you mean? asked Rudy. I mean, my father, replied Gordon. Rudy tried for a joke, deepening his voice a la Darth Vader. Other is your father, Luke. But Gordon only smiled faintly. Okay, uh, tell me about your father, said Rudy, thinking, shouldn't I be out of his line of sight or something? Uh, he was a broker, said Gordon. Though Mum later said he was more like a breaker. Uh, he was way up there in the 80s at Solomon. Lots of money, lots of risk. Manic, you know the type. Then, poof, enter the scandal. He, he promised some client to get out if they hit more than 10% losses and didn't. You have no idea how many accounts a broker manages. There's no chance of personal attention. Of course, he was trading to make money, which is what brokerage firms do, no matter how many clients they wipe out. Anyway, he was disciplined, had to pay a lot of money back. But that was okay. He still made a ton. And? And the weird thing was that it had no effect on him at all. He shrugged it off. He was... You know, the modern type. No doubt, no room for questions. Finance was a game. You pushed the envelope, walked the line, played the gray, and sometimes you got caught. It's like speeding, he said. Everyone speeds and pays their tickets without guilt. People get to go fast, the police get to cash in. Nothing wrong with it. Huh. Well, weren't you raised by your mom? I stayed with my dad occasionally. He lives in Vancouver. So then? So then there's a great mystery. You know, the kind you always think of going back later in life to figure out. Something happened. Something bad. He stopped working. Got very depressed. I went out there. He asked for me. He was very sad. Kept asking if he'd been good to me, you know. When parents want you to mother them. Rudy shuddered. Yeah. Gordon turned to look at Rudy. If I ever get to the place where I have to rely on a 14-year-old to validate my existence, shoot to kill. No hesitations. Promise? Rudy nodded. He was on medication, going to therapy. He asked me to talk to his therapist. It was so pathetic. I went but couldn't go in. Sat in the waiting room, listened to the sounds. You know, that... Western self-pitying, snuffling, woe is fucking me. After he came out, the therapist told me to come in. My dad waited outside. Gordon twisted his head. Man, my neck. The therapist had the standard room, black and white pictures of kids, African masks. She gave me water, asked me a few questions, and then said something I've never been able to forget. Something which chilled me to the bone. Rudy swallowed. I can't wait. She said, You realize, Gordon, that there's nothing we can do for him now but to make him as comfortable as possible.
There was a pause. Oh, groaned Rudy. You know, it had never occurred to me that it was possible to make enough mistakes. You know, soul mistakes, moral mistakes, evil. That you could damn yourself beyond repair. That you could be dead in life. That there was nothing left but medication and controlling the stink of your own death. That's cold. Cold, demanded Gordon, his cheeks flushing. Do you mean me? Rudy raised his hands. No, Chief, settle. It's cold what the therapist did. Not right. There should have been some some kind of follow-up. Yeah, said Gordon, laying back on the pillow and clasping his hands behind his head. Yeah, but no, too. She was right, and it really worked for me. Still, risky as hell. No, she knew what to say, knew the risk was okay, that I was able to take it. And that sentence has been the foundation of my ethics, you know, as an adult. So to see Alder, to see that he knows it, what he's done. My dad knows too, knows that he lied and stole for a living. Lied and stole, interrupted Rudy. How? Oh, everyone who invests for you is lying. I've done the research. They manipulate stock prices to pump up their own holdings and make money for clients they like or fear by screwing the others. Really? Sure. The brokers have no idea what's going on in the market. It's brownie in motion. It's all bullshit. It's a tax on greed and ignorance, like lotteries. Except lotteries cost a couple of bucks. Brokers destroy billions. Pisses me off, really, how stupid people are. Sure, this guy knows all about which stocks will go up, so he'll buy for me from the goodness of his heart, because I'm special. Huh. They fuck their clients, and then they fuck up the market for others. But some do well, right? I mean, mean, Warren Buffett, ah, that's a bell curve. Some do consistently well, some consistently badly. But when someone gets a reputation for being right, everyone follows. It's still random, still nothing to do with the market, since it cannot be predicted. So... Your dad, my dad, knows, said Gordon softly. He never admits, but he knows. And I think the hardest part is that it can't be repaired anymore. He can't fix what he did, so he can't fix himself. What do you mean, fix himself? It's why moms make their kids take stolen candy bars back. My dad blew tens of millions of other people's money. What's he going to do now? Get a real job and pay it back? Sell his penthouse and live in a basement? Take the bus? Gordon laughed sadly. Even if he did, which he won't, he can't give up his gains, he'd never be able to pay it all back. And even if he could, would people forgive him? No. He lives in a palace of sin. It's all around him, his house, his skin. There's no escape. But is this why you're so sad about Alder? Alder knows, but he can't undo it? No, said Gordon, seriously. You have to do good before you're found out. Confess before you're caught. He'll never know now, never. And so he has died. There was a pause after this ghastly statement. An old, 
Russian ghost seemed to wander through the room. Rudy shivered, thinking of his own family. Gordon shifted on the bed. A rap bass began thrumming through the wall. Jung has this story about a woman, a doctor, who came to him when he was just starting out. She'd fallen in love with a married man who lived next door, so she murdered his wife. She was a doctor, she knew how, wasn't caught. Then she married the man, but he died soon after. And then... She came to Jung just once. I have to tell you what happened, she said. After my husband died, my servants turned against me. My friends stopped seeing me. Even my dogs and cats hiss and cower when I come near. No one knew. They didn't even suspect, not consciously anyway. But we smell that kind of stench in our very spines. I am the loneliest person in the world, she said. I have destroyed my life. I had to tell someone, and, and now I have. You will never see me again. And so she left and never returned. Probably killed herself. No one knew. Christ, that's medieval, whispered Rudy, hugging his knees. Do you think she could have returned to you? Reclaimed her soul? Come back to life? You're a fucking atheist. What are you talking about souls for? I believe in the soul, said Gordon simply. Not as an inner ghost, but as the essence of our humanity. There is no such organ as health, but it's the essence of medicine. There's no such thing as soul, but it's the essence of philosophy, of happiness, of life. Rudy went over, opened a drawer, and pulled out a pack of cigarettes. Ethics always gives me the nick fits, he said in the apologetic tone of the modern smoker. He went over and opened the tiny window. A breath of wind caressed his cheek. He sighed and turned to Gordon. All right, Savonarola, what are you going to do now? Aldous on his way out. Out? Repeated Gordon, rising on his elbows. Bez, Professor Tabrock, is turfing him, yea, even as we speak. The idea is yours again. There was a pause. Gordon's eyes narrowed. Now, said Rudy, here is what is not going to happen. If this were a movie, we'd need a third act. The second act was you getting the idea and Aldra stealing it. And the third act is not going to be about you quitting academics out of bitterness, then getting over it to take your place among the illustrious ranks of the square-hatted. It's a bullshit act. Everyone knows you will anyway, so let's just skip to the credits, shall we? Gordon smiled sadly. That act exists for a reason. Yeah, poor story construction. This is not a story. Okay, of course, but... Damn it, man, don't make me give you the you-have-a-gift speech. Gordon paused, then shook his head. Of course I'm going back to academics. I mean, the outside world listened. The best fights only need one ally. But that's not important, because the third act is not about me. No? Gordon laughed. <laughs> no, you idiot. The third act is about you. This book continues on the next file.